on this week's Empire podcast, we feel the wrath of the Titans. We look back at the Jemison Empire Awards and Dexter Fletcher and Jason Fleming drop in for a chat. How lovely. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the fifth installment of the award-winning Empire podcast. What award did it win? That's none of your beeswax, quite frankly. As ever, I'm joined by some of the finest film journalists money can buy to talk shop about the week's new movies, the week's new movie news, and any old movie-related nonsense that fills our skulls. This week, those fine film journalists are Nick Dissemlian. How are you, Nick? Hello, Chris. I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Uh, Then we have the glorious return of Helen O'Hara. You were missed last week. Oh, thank my person who missed me. I'm not sure what the (laughs) It might have been your mother, to be honest. It probably was. Uh, And then, making his podcast debut, despite admitting just two hours ago that he hasn't actually listened to any of the four previous episodes, (laughs) is our features editor, Mr. Dan Jolin. How the devil are you, Dan? I'm very well, thank you, Chris. Actually, I did cram a little bit. You crammed? I I listened to a few minutes of the last one. (laughs) The beginning and the end. The one with Terrence Stamp and Peter Lord. Yeah, they were in the middle, so I missed that. Okay, what, okay. Did, what did you think? I thought it was amazing. Amazing? Every minute of it was amazing, <laughs> from beginning to end. We're going to use that in the poster, by the way. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Brilliant. it's good. Five stars. Uh, as ever, it's time to plough through the tens, tens of messages and tweets with which we've been undated, which I think is the opposite of inundated. Am I correct in that? Um, I, would, I was just, I was well, reaching, to be honest. Uninundated, yeah, I think is the correct term. Uninundated. 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 Okay, we've been uninundated with uh, tens of messages and tweets over the past seven days, at Will. SC asks if we can have Peter Lord on every single week, which is fair enough because he was great last week. Uh, however, the commute from Bristol would be a bit of a killer for him. He was a lovely guy. He's he's just you weren't one here, of the Helen, but people. honestly, he was well, nice. I met him at big screen last summer, and, and he's a delight. You did. He is indeed a beardy delight. Uh, at Craig Junior ninety asks, can you use your connections in the film world, <laughs> like we have connections in the film world, to get a Hangover spin-off called Apocalypse Chow? <laughs> but do we want to do that? <laughs> Do we want more Hangover movies clogging up the cinemas? Nick, what do you think? I would watch it if it was his community, Ken Yong's community character yeah. doing Apocalypse yes. Now, which may well happen in community because they're spoofing pretty much everything else. But, uh, <laughs> not a huge fan of, of... I don't like him as much as in the Hangover movies. Yeah, I, I, I don't like him at all in the Hangover movies. In fact, I don't like him in Hangover 2, but then I didn't like anyone in Hangover 2. It sucked. Even yeah. the monkey. Oh, my God. I, I honestly don't like Ken Jong in anything except community. Uh, Dan, where do you stand on this? Well, we it's quite interesting. If you actually look at the films in which he appeared in, in the last year... Mm. And you add up the box office of all those films. He was the biggest star of 2011. Transformers 3. Seriously. Seriously. You put him in your movie and you are looking at huge worldwide success. Guaranteed. I don't think that Ken Yong was the reason Transformers 3 made a billion dollars, but maybe... I mean. So he was in Transformers 3, which, mm-hmm. as Nick just said, made a billion. Yeah, and Hangover um, 2, which eight, made... Lots more than lots, it should have. Less than a billion, but a lot. <laughs> was he anything else? Oh, I can't remember now. That's all you, that's all you need to be, really, isn't it? Now. Yeah, I Transformers notes, 3. You haven't this. prepared for this. Uh, he was in my favourite moment of last year, because finally someone strapped Ken Jeong to a chair and flung him out of a window oh. <laughs> <laughs> to oh. his death. That is... Um, uh, you're going to end up interviewing him next month. Yeah, yeah. Next week's guest is Ken Jeong. I'm a big fan of your work in community. I'm a might want a you know, bit of a disclaimer. I like him, and he used to be, I believe, a doctor. He did, he yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. No, he's a he smart did, guy. Yeah. yeah, he was a really? doctor. Really? Yep. Well, maybe, it's, maybe all of this is research into whether laughter really is the best medicine. Where Ken Jong is involved, probably not. Uh, at Paul J. Chambers says, in reference to another one of our podcast guests from last week, Terence Stamp should do all audiobooks. His voice licks my balls like silk. Now, come on, Paul. 
Is that really true? You're going to, you're going to make well, I really a... like that. I saw that on Twitter and I've been quoting that. So <laughs> I enjoyed it. Fire email Ed Bauer asks, and this is an interesting one, uh, what's your favourite trilogy where the first film has been standalone, this is a long one, and the second or third have been made after the success of the first with the cliffhanger leading into the third? It's possibly <laughs> the most specific question we've ever been asked. It narrows this, this down to a very, very small category. So it's essentially, okay. you know that old phrase, I always thought of as a trilogy when a, a film's mm-hmm. quite successful and then the director or the studio goes, well, you know, I was always planning to make two and three. So we're talking films like The Matrix, I mm. guess, Scream, movies like that. Back to the Future. Back to the Future, and yes. that's your favourite? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, hands I down. really like the way that the second goes into the third. And I really like the way that the second yeah. actually mostly takes place within the first film. Yeah, I love that. From a that completely different perspective. Yeah. yeah, it's really smart. And yeah. it's just one of the best, most fun treatments of time travel I've seen in film. Back to the Future 2 gets a lot of flack, but I think it's better than Back to the Future Black 3. Back to the Future. Well, Black it's weird, because I would have said a couple of years ago that Back to the Future 2 was getting the flack and Back to the Future 3... It's now the other was, way around, Yeah, isn't and it? it's now gone the other way around. It's a bit like... Indiana Jones at one point everyone seemed to like Crusade and hate Temple and it mm-hmm. now seems to have flipped and everyone likes Temple and hates Crusade I don't Crusade I don't I like them both Crusade is great but Crusade hey. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well okay good I think, so, I think the truth is that everyone hates part four I think the, yes, people, I think people now right. love the first three all of them how about uh, Star Wars Star Wars yeah mm-hmm. okay yeah Although, of course, I was always going to make a trilogy all along. Well, that was nine parts. I was yeah, going to make it as nine parts, then it became six, six parts, parts, and now I'm maybe not so sure. I've got to check the covers. Yeah, I'm down to the last three billion. That's mass. Make another three. Go on for it. Uh, so, Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing could, wrong cliffhanger with that at the end of Vampire. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I think Dan with Back to the Future and Helen with Star Wars, you're pretty much on the money there. That's a very, very specific category. Uh, right. Every week, we're going to ask you guys to write a jingle or a sting, if you will, I believe, in the parlance of the industry for us. Uh, this week, coming back for a second helping is Michael Farrar. Melody Eel not only has the best name ever but has a jingle that combines an Empire podcast favourite The Wilhelm Scream with Terence Stamp aka Superman's General Sword I'm pretty sure this one's going to get us sued here we go (laughs) wow I feel violated (laughs) okay I think Wilhelm Scream feels violated as well (laughs) poor old Terence Stamp if you want to send us in your jingles or your thoughts or anything else you like to send us in electronic form, of course, then send it to podcast at empireonline.com. And you can also find us on the Twitter under at Empire Magazine. Tag your hash, hash, Empire Podcast, and it'll be easier for us to find. Okay, time for some lovely movie news. Now, as some of you may be aware, the 16th Jemison Empire Awards took place on Sunday night at the Governor House Hotel in lovely London, and it were proper ace. The big winners in the night were Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which won Best Film and Best Director for Diddy David Yates, and uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy nabbed three awards, including Best British Film and Best Actor for Gary Oldman, which generated the evening's first standing ovation. There were also gongs galore for the likes of Kill List, well-deserved, Tom Hiddleston, also well-deserved, The Inbetweeners Movie, well-deserved, Thor, well-deserved, and special awards for Ron Howard, well-deserved, Tim Burton, well-deserved, and Michael F. Aspender, well-deserved. So, what do we make of it, Helen? Danny DeVito's introduction to yes. Tim Burton is something that none of us who heard it are ever going to forget. No, um, true. And uh, it involved a, a monkey, um, Danny DeVito's own private parts, um, <laughs> and Tim Burton cackling like a maniac. Uh, yes. So who doesn't love that? It's not nearly as pornographic as it sounds, I have to I say, but it's that. an amazing I story. I was in room. I was, I was very unhappy to miss that. <laughs> it was great. And also, uh, Danny DeVito uh, was on stage after Dolph Lundgren, who had uh, adjusted the microphone to his height, 
which allowed Danny DeVito to make a great visual gag with the size of him and a microphone, uh, which was fantastic. I thought it was a great night. Um, I obviously had an interesting vantage point on stage co-hosting with Lauren Laverne, uh, which was great. There loads of spectacle. The standing ovation for Gary Oldman I thought was fantastic. Mm. And as you noted, it wasn't a political award. It was genuinely voted for yeah. by you guys, the readers. The other moment that brought a, a smile to my face was Olivia Coleman winning for Best Actress for Tyrannosaur. Yeah, another standing ovation. Another standing ovation. Very well re- deserved. I think that was one of those cases where not many people had seen the film but every single person who had voted for her as best actress and so she managed to win the day hurrah absolutely well well deserved as you well know I've been banging on about her performance for a very very long time Uh, Dan what did you think of the night anything stand out for you in terms of the, the winners or maybe even the losers well, anyway, it was, it was good fun. I mean, um, I, I don't don't really dwell on the losers, to be honest with you. Um, I well, thought it was it was good to see. I mean, I you know, I, a bit of a guilty pleasure last year was Thor. I thought that was a good mm-hmm. bit of fun. So it's mm-hmm. actually nice to see that win something, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's the best movie ever, but uh, um, I actually got a lot of enjoyment out of it. So, uh, and that's one of those kind of wins that you can only have at the Empire Awards, really, because it's mm-hmm. uh, it's you know the people that go out and uh, and have fun at the cinema as opposed to I don't know sitting in stuffy rooms where stuffy people who do stuffy things do absolutely like but this it, one you mean it was, yeah this one <laughs> this, precisely this room uh, it was interesting to see that Chris Hemsworth was there obviously uh, but Thor also launched in many ways the career of Tom Hiddleston who was obviously seen in Deep Blue Sea He's and War Horse nice last man. year and he won Best Male Newcomer ahead of a very very strong field including John Boyega yeah. Craig Roberts uh, yeah. Sam Claflin Asa Butterworth uh, I, you know, he, he made a joke that he was 31 years old but maybe a bit old to be a newcomer but mm. I can only see bigger and better things for him in the, in the coming years what do you think Nick mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. you mentioned John Boyega I was mm. you know all the, the winners were deserving but I was sad to see Attack the Block I think it was up for four awards they didn't win anything I was kind of sad about that I was yeah that was the that was the big upset as, as well there's no there's nobody I really wanted to replace them with but I would have liked them to see them get something but I think they had a good time they uh, one did. of them was, <laughs> yeah, was I saw, I saw a couple the wine of them, yeah. that they'd had so <laughs> they had a good time and uh, Drive was the other one that I was a little bit surprised. I thought maybe that would pick up an award or two. Again, though, it's voted the the uh, the main awards, the three special awards for Ron Howard, who was uh, Empire Inspiration, Tim Burton was Empire Legend, and Michael Fassbender, which is for people who aren't quite ready for the Knackers Yard yet, not quite near death, uh, basically in their thirties, likes of Jude Law, Keira Knightley, and now Michael Fassbender. So um, are you saying they're, Tim they're, Burton's near death? No, but uh, or nor is he ready for the Knackers Yard, but he nor is, is he is of that's true. Sorry. But he is of an advanced age compared to Kira Knightley and Jude Law and Michael Fassbender. That's my point. Okay. He's been in the business for a very, very long time. I don't want us getting ageist here. We're not getting ageist and we're not Burtonist either. Okay. But uh, that's what I'm just saying. Uh, they are chosen by us, but the, all the other awards are voted for by the Empire readers. So, in that respect, it's probably not surprising that Harry Potter picked up, finally, mm. uh, best film for the eighth film in the series. Like I said on the night, a fitting end to a, a great Odyssey, Helen. Yes, I have become a Harry Potter girl in the last... You really years. have. I only, How many I, times have you been in the studio tour now? Oh, I've done the studio tour like four times. You're actually part of the studio tour now, aren't they? People go, much. and this they're is just, Helen O'Hara. They're going to put yeah. me in a... In a Helen in a bruised yeah. butterbeer in her garage. <laughs> <laughs> and she's changing her name to Harriet Potter. Oh, dear. You've gone Walter White in this. She's um, actually on a one. No, I've... Uh, yeah, I, I almost became a, f- a fan of the movies out of self-defence, basically, because I ended up covering them a lot. But, well, you know, so people is, were attacking you. You wanted to learn magic to fight that's back. That's it, exactly. Okay. Yes. Um, but also, I mean, you know, there there were great British filmmaking achievement. I think in terms of just filmmaking, in terms of the impact they've had on a generation of book readers and moviegoers, um, they've been very much a force for good 
and therefore hooray for Harry Potter frankly mm, mm. Um, I know people were a lot of a lot of people were turned off by the first couple of films I think they've gotten you know better since then the last four five six have been really really consistent really really high level and um, and you know they've been obviously phenomenally successful so that's yeah. a good thing absolutely for what, what's going to happen to the British film industry now that Harry Potter is no longer in business reboot it they should <laughs> start, reboot start it start from the beginning uh, in about six months time if you go if you go to your local Dole office we just see like Dumbledore and Hagrid <laughs> and all just sitting there going oh come on where's the next job coming from um, but I thought it was a fantastic night really really enjoyed it and uh, congratulations to all the winners and commiserations to all the losers you're not losers you just Nominees. didn't win Nominees. the non-winners technically they're losers <laughs> Actually, Andy Serkis getting nominated for Best Actor. Now, oh, that's, yeah. that's revolutionary. Groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah, well, he's won in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the point is that he was nominated for Best Actor for a, for a motion capture. He did but have a lot of monkeys voting for him. But didn't he win before for Gollum? <laughs> he did, he has. So we've been groundbreaking in the past. We uh, set the trends. Yes, and then Hollywood yes, takes years to catch right. on. You so, are right. But it, it was still that great was to see. see. It yes. was still great to see. Okay, so not to blow our own trumpets still further, but the uh, new issue of Empire, the world's biggest movie magazine which makes it really difficult to read in the tube hit the streets this week and it's a good one on the cover is a big old feature about Ridley Scott's Prometheus which should hopefully shed some light on the most eagerly anticipated sci-fi prequel since you know what I wrote that feature and I, I'm still none the wiser frankly uh, but inside we've got Scarlett Johansson we've got a major feature on Powell and Pressburger we've got Tim Burton's Dark Shadows we've got Will Ferrell and Casa de Mi Padre is that the correct Spanish pronunciation Casa Helen? de Mi Padre that's what I said. And uh, more on the star and director of The Raid, the best action movie of the year so far, Gareth Evans and Eco Wise. But I really want to single out one of our now traditional reunions. This month, it was Lethal Weapon. We got Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and director Richard Donner back together in an LA studio, and the magic was back. Uh, well, I say we did it. It was all down to Nick, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> no, I, I sat down with my brother uh, just before Christmas, uh, my brother Phil, who also works for the magazine, and we decided to look into possible cast reunions. We looked at 1987, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, along the li- on the list was stuff like Jaws the Revenge, Rent-A-Cop, <laughs> oh, come and on. Harry and the Hendersons, but we couldn't get any of those. Jaws oh, the Revenge would have been amazing. You could have got Mario Van Peebles, you could have got Lorraine Gar- Gary, um, Michael Caine, obviously he'd have been well up for it, and other people who were in that film as well. <laughs> yeah, we could have gone to the Caribbean. <laughs> could have gone, but, um, absolutely, the shark did. But we went for Lethal Weapon. And, oh, why? Yeah, and fortunately, uh, Richard Donner, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover were all up for it. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is yeah, this was the first time that they'd been together in a room since when? Because if it if it was last week at a Rotary Club dinner, then that that loses impact. But it was quite a while, wasn't it? I the three of them, yeah. Uh, Mel Gibson and Richard Donner said that they go out for lunch quite a lot. But I don't. I think Danny Glover, who lives in San Francisco, is not down in LA that much, and okay. I don't think the three of them have been together for a long time. So they were very pleased to see each other. There was a lot of hugging, and um, <laughs> Mel Gibson did some barking. Really, dog, dog barking, like yeah. a dog. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was a really fun day. Uh, Mel Gibson turned up in the tiniest car that I've ever seen. It was a smart car. Danny Glover really? came down from San Francisco. He brought his brother. He brought an American football player from the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> I have no idea why. And he wore some amazing shoes. Um, yeah, which I've researched. They kind of they look like plimsolls. They got five toes. Mm-hmm. And apparently they're called Vibram Five Fingers. And they're, they're very stylish. They're running shoes, aren't they, essentially? weird. Uh, apparently they replicate the feeling of being barefoot and they're worn by yachters and kayakers I was looking at these shoes and, and I think they're visible in one of the shots aren't they? two of the shots two of the shots are visible in two of the shots it must take ages to put them on it must do because you got to get your toes individually he into might each just leave them on <laughs> I'm not sure I, I regret not asking questions about them but um, 
yeah they, they were nice cool and so it was fun having the, the, the two guys back together and, and, and Richard Donner Dick Donner this is a uh, what now the second Dick Donner reunion that we've done <laughs> he was there for the he obviously directed the Goonies so he was there for our Goonies reunion in 2009 um, yeah he's a lovely guy he's really nice he's now I think 81 mm-hmm. and he drove himself and full of energy full of stories um yeah, and one of the most surreal moments in my life probably would be showing Richard Donner, Mel Gibson, and Danny Glover uh, stills from National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon on my iPad. Really? Because we ended up talking about it, and so I, I googled it, and they were all gathered around, and it was, it was kind of mind-bending. Had they heard of it? Mel Gibson had watched it. He was he kind of enjoyed it. I think Richard Donner had never heard of it. Amazingly, wow! It came out in the early nineties. You'd think he'd yeah. have seen it, but he claimed he hadn't seen it, so he was kind of blown away. Now, Lethal Weapon means a lot to me. I actually prefer, like Sam Worthington, in, who, who revealed in last month's Pint of Milk that it's actually his favourite film. But I prefer Lethal Weapon too, but I love Lethal Weapon. Is this, a, is this a special film for you guys, particularly, Dan? Is it a film that resonates? Um, I just kind of re- it reminds me of being a teenager and watching them all on video and, and having a great laugh. But the thing that sticks in my head, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to get a bit negative, but the thing that sticks in my head is the awful music. <laughs> <laughs> awful. <laughs> The Eric Riggs's thing, the Eric Clapton twiddly, 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 <laughs> and then that saxophone theme going on, and then when Chris Rock turned 80s. up, he got a harmonica theme, and it was just like it's just like the worst kind of MOR nonsense. It's actually uh, when I revisited the films, it's actually not so bad in the first one, but right. by part three and by part four, yeah. it starts getting when Riggs actually has a saxophone solo in, <laughs> in part four. <laughs> I, I don't mind the music. I I, I think it, it. Yeah, you're right. It was like Michael came in around that time he did Die mm. Hard, and he had that very own specific style for, for action movies but yeah I don't mind it at all you're just being a curmudgeon well yeah the music is important Chris it is important it's very but, important but I think Believe the Weapon was equally as important is the chemistry between the two guys which is fantastic and Amazing. the action and the mm. script by Shane Black Shane Black did not write part 3 which has some of the worst one liners I mean I, I love the whole series but part 3 when I rewatched it the villain I don't know if you remember is a guy called Jack Travis who's Stuart, a construction Wilson, yeah. overlord yeah. and he has one liners based on construction so he kills this guy he kills a henchman using cement and then says that's a relationship we can build on really yeah it's astonishing so that's, that's not a Shane Black one line amazing I don't really remember uh, I used to love this series a lot I've only seen part 4 once I, uh, I've seen 3 a lot but 3 is the one where they blew up the building by a mistake at the beginning of the film isn't it the, the massive there are two, the massive car park at it, the beginning it or something it begins and ends with a huge explosion which are actual buildings being blown up so they kind of based the story around buildings that were going to be blown up anyway is that a wise pa- model for, for script writing <laughs> <laughs> she's going around Dude, are you blowing this not, building up you know? yeah I mean, if you're built, you know, if 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 you know a building's going to be blown up, <laughs> chuck it in your action movie already. <laughs> I also found out there was going to be a huge car crash as well, so they, uh, <laughs> they got down for that. Yeah, actually, honestly, that's how the Blues Brothers finale came about. They heard that it there was going to be, be yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, And Nick, you also, uh, in a real coup, uh, managed to talk to, I guess, the the third member of that sort of Riggs Murtaugh Leo Getz uh, trilogy, which is uh, Joe Pesci in his first interview in. Long time. I think yeah. he's done occasional kind of vox pop type things Fox, Fox. at events yeah. or whatever. Yeah, um, but it's the first proper interview he's done. Certainly talking about his career and talking about *Lethal Weapon*. And I didn't think we would get him just because he doesn't do press. He's vanished. He's been in two films since *Lethal Weapon* four in '98. He's done *The Good Shepherd* with Robert De Niro, yep. but he did a small cameo as De Niro's friend doing a favor. And he made a movie called *Love Ranch* with Taylor Hackford and Helen Mirren, which he's not happy with. <laughs> I only print. Uh, there's only like one quote from him about it in the feature but he, right. he made it very clear that he did not like that film and he wasn't happy with, with 
In what way result. did he make it clear? I mean, as in sort of Taylor Hackford has been disappeared? Is that, is that, that, that sort there of thing? Was, there was insane giggling and gunshots and stuff. It was, <laughs> no, he, was, he was actually, I, I, I'll be honest, I was quite frightened um, at the prospect of, of talking to Joe Pesci because he's... He's terrifying on screen. Well, he's often. a guy in Goodfellas who uh, had the funny house speech. Yeah. Uh, he famously, you know, plays psychotics and, and nut jobs and murderers and stabby weirdos. Well, he was very nice. He was very nice. <laughs> well, that was good. And um, he talked about his horses. He's got seven or eight horses. And uh, he talked about the Goodfellas spaghetti sauce and all kinds of stupid questions that I threw at him. But he answered everything. And, Fantastic. Uh, yeah, he was very nice. Dan. Hello. Celeste Lethal Weapon out of the way. Yes, delighted. It's a fantastic shoot. You should check it out if you if you can in the magazine. What is on your movie news mind this week? Well, we are finally seeing something of uh, this Total Recall reboot. Okay, uh, which is being directed by Len Wiseman uh-huh. and stars. It's always Colin a good start. Farrell, yes. Um, I mean, could it could it be Summer's Dark Horse? Um, Maybe only time will tell. Time will tell um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's just they've they've released the and this is a, this is this is a new thing. It started with Prometheus, so they've they've released the teaser. It didn't start with Prometheus. It goes back a bit it further. Back. Yeah. It feels like it started with Prometheus, yeah. probably because that was such a big deal. Well, Prometheus, uh, go on and explain what the the uh, what it is. Yeah, and then so it's the teaser for the trailer. So it's this like the... thirty seconds. It's the trailer for the trailer, basically. <laughs> okay. Uh, so it's 30 seconds of the, whatever, one and a half minutes that we're going to see on Sunday. Sunday, yeah. I believe, yes. yes. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, there's lots of Transformers noises and Inception booming noises on it. Yes. Yeah, it's become yeah. a real tra- uh, trailer. <laughs> <cliche>. <laughs> the, the whole... Yeah. I'm getting a bit tired of it. It kind of works yeah. in the uh, Prometheus trailers. It works, isn't it? That's an amazing But I think that should just Yeah, but that has the sort of the old screamy thing from the old Alien trailer It does, but it also has an Inception. Someone needs to confiscate whatever it is that makes that noise. I think it's Hans Zimmer. They yeah. need to hand, everyone needs to hand. No, no, it's a button. They have a button in Hollywood. It's one button in one room in Hollywood and it's the Inception noise button. You just and slap the button. And it's right next to the Transformers noise as well. There's a website you can go to and actually press a red yeah. button that makes that noise. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Wow. That's like really high on my automator. <laughs> awesome. Dan is making a to-do list and is doing it right away. Yeah. yeah. Prometheus took this to, to the next level, I thought, uh, because it had a countdown to the trailer mm. and every every day it would reveal another microscopic bit of footage that mm. you could you know barely mm. see and then eventually cam- comes the uh, what the 30 second teaser trailer mm. uh, where's it going to end we're going to have like one second teasers for the five second teaser for the ten second teaser for the, the one minute thing it, it's becoming a little bit like that Onion story where they suggested that the producers of the final Harry Potter movie were going to release the last five minutes as mm-hmm. seven more movies <laughs> <laughs> you know it's feeling like we're getting towards that point is that true just a bit is that true oh yeah they totally are Yeah. Oh. I think it works <laughs> with something like Prometheus that people are actually genuinely you know can't wait for mm-hmm. I don't think the Total Recall remake for me at least is up there with that. Okay, look, listen, right? Listen, okay? There is one huge reason to be excited about this film, okay? Brian Cranston is in it. Come on! He plays Cohagen. Brian Cranston. He's in everything, though. As much as I love him, and I'm thrilled that he's in everything, but he is in everything. He's raising the quality of cinema just a little bit across a wide range of films. Mm. So you're saying that Brian Cranston is deliberately taking roles in bad films to save them? Yes, we don't he's, know. A, he's a hero. Oh, come on, we don't we know don't, this is bad. And actually, and I no, saw no, 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 a, no. I saw a few minutes of it at Comic Con last summer, and it actually looked pretty. I was I also saw that, and I agree, it did yep. look quite good. We screened that same footage, a big screen, of course. Um, uh, yeah, it actually didn't look too bad. I mean, uh, the first what we call the Paul Verhoeven Arnold Schwarzenegger film is one of my uh, sort of 
weird guilty pleasure favourites. It's extraordinarily violent. I don't think this is going to be as violent. It's probably going to be a PG-13. Interestingly, this one doesn't go to Mars. No, it doesn't. It goes through Earth. It goes... Really? I didn't know <gasps> it that. It goes down. Like it goes down. the centre of the Earth. Free yeah. Brendan Fraser. Basically, okay, okay. So here's the thing. You've got... So in the future, you've got New Asia, which is China, and you've got the United Federation of Britain. Okay. And they're connected by a big lift. <laughs> <laughs> which goes through the earth this is honestly I'm excited and, but see this is you know and so what's going to happen is it's going to go through the earth but of course as it goes through the earth right. it goes zero G no way so we can expect lots of zero G action like a certain other film that was released in the last few years that oh goes my God. Ah. He's definitely going to use that does the lift go ah. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you press a button <laughs> ah. is there a moment when Colin Farrell gets in the lift and a little boy gets in and presses all the buttons at the same time and then the film just carries on in real time until you know <laughs> he stops he visits every single floor all along the way that would be a really long film <laughs> that would be amazingly long yeah, film yeah that would be so, brilliant so we think what, what do we think about this Total Recall because um, Len Wiseman's track record is not great in my opinion I'll throw that one out there yeah. I have an open mind this question is going to sound really facetious, but it's a sincere question. Will there be a woman with three breasts? Do you know what? I heard that there would be, actually. I'm genuinely curious. Uh, uh, apparently, you know, that's taken care of. Okay. okay. He, he knows where people's Look, priorities lie. It'll be CG. <laughs> He's taking it up a notch, okay? I can I reveal this. He's taking it up. There is going to be a woman with eight <laughs> like a cat she operates the lift it's amazing interestingly I don't well actually it may not be interesting but I'm going to throw it out there anyway Dean Norris who plays Hank in Breaking Bad was in the original Total Recall wow it all comes Whoa. full circle wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that wasn't even rehearsed. Wasn't they literally genuinely. just did that. We've it's really fun. <laughs> well, hot pot of coffee, an amazing piece of news dropped this morning, which made me very, very happy indeed. And that is the news that Anchorman Two has, at long last, after a long period in development hell, been greenlit. Great, Odin's raving. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, Points, by the way, for the person who could work the most obscure Anchorman quote into this bit. Uh, but Will Ferrell came on, Conan O'Brien, not in that way, but he came on dressed as uh, Ron Burgundy, playing his jazz flute, and announced it uh, last night. So, what do we feel about this? Um, because obviously there haven't really been that many great comedy sequels, have there? Why do you have to let in reality intrude on a moment like this? <laughs> this is a great day. We want more Anchorman, and we're going to hope it's it's going to be awesome right up until the moment that it, you know, isn't. Oh come on! It's can can be they bottle lightning twice? You know, I mean, I, I get, I, I love Anchorman. Yeah. I absolutely love it, but I get the impression it was a bit accidental. <laughs> well, having said that, I mean, I'm, you know, there's an entire movie of deleted scenes. Come on! <laughs> yeah, well, I, I yes, quite enjoy that. that movie actually. Yeah, I thought Ron Burgundy some, was quite fun. It's yeah. got some very funny bits in it, but it's not as good as the actual yeah. film. And that has got Chuck D, which is also good. Not quite, but uh, I think Wake Up Ron Burgundy was largely unscripted. I'm, I'm guessing that this time they have a, a script. Yeah, together. but that could be a bad this thing. One. This is it what I'm be, saying. It could be a bad thing. It, it, it seemed that you know that, that this that, you know the good thing about Anchorman was it was very high gag rate, but they weren't too fussed about the story. To be honest, mm-hmm. you know the problem I thought with Talladega Nights was there was mm-hmm. too much story and not enough funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Step Brothers, so, for example, is uh, not enough, not, not much story, tons of gags. Yeah, yeah, and no, a, a I bit really like, like Step Brothers. Well, I loved Anchorman the first time I saw it, but uh, for most people, I think Farrell McKay films are something of of a grower. Yeah, mm. Step Brothers, mm. it, it only took a, a, about six months for people to start quoting I, it. And same uh, with Anchorman. I, when I saw it at the cinema, I wasn't a huge fan. Mm. It took repeated DVD viewings 
but it's one of those films that the more you watch it, the more you love it. Yeah, and me it's going around the office courting it endlessly, that, that probably helps as well. Yeah. You just wore us down. It was a I war did, of attrition. Yeah, yeah. Well, the relentless <laughs> jumping in the air. I will punch <laughs> you in the ovaries. Eventually we got there. But uh, we seen, it seems that the gang is all back. Uh, we have uh, Brian Fantana coming back, Paul Rudd. We have Steve Carell as Brick Tamland. Now you're talking about you know can they can they get light in a bottle twice? I mean, Brick Tamland is probably the best character in Anchorman, an astonishing piece of acting from Carell. Mm. Can they can they no, I can, can they make that. Brick as stupid again? Baxter is the best character. Baxter is the best character. Yes. Why Baxter? Well, because he has a whole adventure that we don't even see. <laughs> I like imagining that adventure. You, you just like that he can speak Spanish so well, don't you? Yeah, it's, and, it's and, so and bear. Mm. Uh, sign <laughs> Ron Burgundy's gentleman friend it's going to start filming in February yes. uh, of next year and uh, I think Farrell and McKay have collaborated once again on the script um, but it's it's very interesting because uh, the, I talked about the development hell that this movie's been been through it actually got canned a couple of years ago it came very very close to being made um, it was as a musical. a musical as a musical yeah now do we think that they might be going ahead with that again or please <laughs> so when, when was the original Anchorman set? Because presumably this 1970s, is going to be yeah. 1970s. So is this yeah. one going to be set in the 80s? Possibly. Uh, although Will Ferrell came on last night as Ron Burgundy and uh, didn't look as if he'd aged a day. So <laughs> no, he probably exists. He is immortal. I think yeah. Ron Burgundy is immortal. <laughs> it could be like Highlander. Uh, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> there can be only one. There can be only one. No, uh, two. Only two, With absolutely, the absolutely. There's no news yet on uh, Christina Applegate coming back as Veronica Corningstone, though. So, what would you like to see from an Anchorman sequel, Dan? More Baxter. <laughs> more Baxter. <laughs> yes, the further adventures of Baxter. Yeah, essentially. Yes. Yeah, and more weird cameos and whatnot. No, just Baxter. Just Baxter. Okay, <laughs> uh, Nick, what would you like to see? Uh, a bigger dog being kicked off a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to take it a bit higher. I, I By want to, Baxter. I, w- I want to see yet more um, big Hollywood comedians <laughs> playing yet more newsmen who get in an insane mm, fight. Mm, yeah. I want there to be sort of you know rocket launching this time. But do we want to see it just repeat the? the no, but you know, I, I just I feel like you know we need some some violence in there. I'd like to, I'd like to see Ron Burgundy out of his element, maybe going to Vietnam. Or, okay, um, yeah, with Baxter. With, with Baxter. Baxter. <laughs> do something ridiculous. Maybe take it out of San Diego and and you know yeah have Ron Burgundy cut loose somewhere else. Okay. How can he stay classy if he's not in San Diego? He can always stay classy. <laughs> With his gentleman friend Baxter. Baxter. Well, I'm massively excited about it, so uh, we'll, we'll be digging deep and trying to get you more on the Anchorman sequel as soon as we can. Uh, or, as Dan would have it, the Anchor Dog sequel. Indeed. Coming up next, this week's competition, and some special guests drop in for a lovely chat. Okay, it's competition time now. Uh, last week's competition offered you the chance to win three, count them, three Jackie Chan box hats crammed with 21, count them, 21 of the great man's films. The winners were Tom Mulroney, Shane Bayliss and Nayasha Charu, who correctly identified Around the World in 80 Days as the film in which Jackie co-starred with Steve Coogan. And apologies to Nayasha if I completely mangled the pronunciation of your name. Uh, this week's competition will offer five lucky people the chance to get their hands on the Blu-ray of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, a classic comedy which is now on sale. Uh, but you don't need to part with your hard-earned cash to buy it. All you need to do to stand a chance of getting it for free, count it, for free, is answer this week's ridiculously easy question. Monty Python and the Holy Grail formed the basis for which stage musical? Bit of a clue, it's not Les Miserables. Les Miserables. But, but wasn't it on at the said. same place? 
It was one at the same place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. Fans of London theatre, get a Google in. It's really easy anyway. Uh, send in your answers to podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, now we're always happy to welcome special guests to the Empire Pod booth. And last week, Dexter Fletcher, writer-director of the excellent Wild Bill, which is now on release, dropped in with his co-star and Betty mate, Jason Fleming, for wild and raucous chat with Ali Plum and Phil Desemlian. Like, doing your first kind of press tour as a director? Yes. How is, it, how is the how different is it to be on the other side of uh, it's good because the thing is when you're the actor I've got to say first of all it's great to be with Jason we haven't done an interview together for a long time yeah so it's we're good we've done 10 films together but we never get most of them there's never any press <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what film oh no I don't want to do it anymore. no it's good because the thing is when you're an actor unfortunately and I just, Jason my background is it it's like you do your bit and then you then you bugger off and there's not so much to say about it. You go, yeah, I did this and I was in that. And but as the director, you you could just go on for hours about everything because you've got to know by the very definition of your role in it. You've got to know everything and you do. And it's your, it's it's like it's nice to have a field of expertise. I don't normally have it. Yeah. No, I mean, put it in the press line the other day at the yeah. premiere. Um, uh, Dexter obviously has got a lot invested in this film and we have as well in the sense that we're Dexter's mates but it's not our film do you know what I mean so in the press line there was me Sean Pertwee and, and my wife Ellie who plays the school teacher and, and um, they were like tell us about your character and I was like I don't really remember <laughs> and then I heard Sean Pertwee say I heard Sean Pertwee go they went what's your favourite line from the film and he went I can't think of any <laughs> meanwhile Dexter's whole life has been obsessed with this movie do you know what I mean yeah. I was going to say when you do big films and you, and you made them like two year, three years ago and you've got to do the press junket yeah. do you have to sort of go back on Wikipedia and just sort of remind yourself kind of what happened no I mean if you're doing press junkets you're generally in the film a little bit more mm. than we were in Wild Bill I mean that was really what it was because yeah. I was filming X-Men at the time so I could only do a day and um, similarly with Pertwee and most of the boys you know that were in it were phoned uh, in the, so a lot of the time also he phoned f- Olivia Williams for me <laughs> really yeah, yeah. he phoned Olivia because we were talking to Gemma Artson uh, for, for a while doing it and Gemma was going to come and do that part and then she couldn't do it and I was like Jace got a problem so but I, it's mostly last minute do you know what I mean yeah. so you're phoning people like Pertwee or, or Olivia lovely Olivia going hi Olivia um, <laughs> listen we've got this script and we've always thought you'd be right for it oh really when, when is it it's today <laughs> and she's like if you let she's like who's pulled out went, no way. and she goes Jay don't bullshit me who's pulled I out I wrote this and part I, for you I went and I went well the truth is um, we can't really we, we just really want you to be here she goes if you let me do the school run I'll do it and we were like that'd be lovely yeah. <laughs> so we had to finish it finish by three o'clock so she'd get back and do the school run yeah so that was that was the way it was wasn't it I mean, it was down to Jason you know I mean look I, Olivia's great at Dino as well we, we both worked with her yeah. but Jason just finished doing uh, Hannah with her it was with it? Hannah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking, you know, you said ten films together. Are you not sick of each other by now, or is this? Well, oh, we it's, see, gone, it's gone through that stage. Yeah, we the see each other. We, <laughs> we see each other every week anyway. So if we're getting paid to see each other, it just adds an extra bonus. Yeah. No, Jay's very supportive. You know, it's like that. That's the way it works for us. You know, making these smaller films that you know you 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 rock up and you do your bit. I've been on films and they've gone to me. You couldn't possibly ask Jason if he he would. Uh, so Jay, look, I'm doing this film. Would you? They want you to come in for a couple of days. He's like, is it a brown envelope? job I'm like yeah 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 alright then I'll be there <laughs> and, and similarly yeah, you know he's phoned me up and say Dex you know, I'll put you, put you in the frame for this and it's just, it's just the way it works it's just really it's really great it's true yeah no it is true it's, and it's, we're trying to do less of those especially now Dex is directing yeah. we're trying to 
trying to hit a, a classier level of film. In fact, because I've got twins, because I've got twins now, I don't really particularly want to go away, and I've got a reason to stay at home. And people keep interpreting my, me rejecting films as the fact that I'm becoming classier, and it's not. I don't want to go away. No, you are. The, the, the first recent, yesterday, I just turned down a job, and this is the sort of stuff me and Dex, which you know, the big boys you know Jude and Ewan and stuff they never get involved in this sort of thing and actually there is a plus to it because they never I know for a fact they never got sent the script uh, which I've just turned down which is status quo in Hawaii being the bad guys chasing drug dealers but wow. status quo are playing the bad the gang Listen to these two. Dumbfounded, or you know about it? You wrote it. Which I, one I'm dumbfounded, and I want to watch that film, <laughs> but with you in it. I've got sunglasses and guns, <laughs> and they're the bad guys. They're the bad guys. They're the bad guys. Or they're chasing the bad guys. No, they're the bad guys. And David Hasselhoff was playing oh, the man. good guy, but he even the even the Hoff went, mate. You better send this to Fleming because I ain't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that Fleming guy, he'll do this. <laughs> How much? time did he get with um, Andy Serkis because he's a very busy man now he got his directing yeah. down in New Zealand yeah he is um, literally again like Jason a day we had Jason Four we had what, Olivia we had for a day Pert we had for a day okay. Mark Warren we had for a day uh, and and similarly Andy Serkis we had for three weeks no no we only had him for a day as well and he was day one as well he, wow I mean he was day one first day shooting <laughs> it literally when we knew he was going to do it it's like right that's the day it starts and you got a lovely mention actually in um in Time Out, I think it was that he, they said Andy Circus got a script when Andy gets a good mention. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's so adept and brilliant at doing all that stuff that you don't normally see mm. him for. You know, he's he's the master of it. I mean, you know, he's, he's sort of carved his own niche in terms of, you know, okay, we need someone who's prepared to make something that's not alive feel like it is alive, mm. you yeah, know, and make yeah. this thing that's a kind of imagined gargoyle and, and brings powerful performances to those yeah. things right through that whole that massive technology he sort of projects yeah. all the way through it which is yeah. why he's so massive and brilliant at it and to have him come on set and, and do something just as him and kind of edge him up to go no no I really need to dial it up because he was really wanted to do small and contained and, mm. and that's like that first scene he's in in a film he's like he's like a yeah. rock and he hardly speaks and on the bench yeah he's yeah. the big bad guy isn't he yeah. yeah and he becomes kind of terrified and Gregory's sitting, Leo Gregory's sitting next to him completely freaks out because he's just you know staring at but that's, that's you know, Andy's a brilliant actor, and yeah. he is. He'd come for one day. Astonishing, like he had a similar role in Brighton Rock. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Where he plays, he yeah. plays the, the big bad, so slick back. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 50s, 60s, mm. early 60s gangster, and you come out that film just thinking about that, like one or two scenes that he's in. Mm. How yeah. do you direct, like, some you know, someone like like Andy? Do you have? Uh, yeah. Look, well, look. I mean, the thing is, with someone Andy, he comes with a very particular idea. Knows what he wants to do with a, a character. Like it's a great character to play that part, and he comes with a very particular idea. And then he plays out the scene, and then you have a chat about moments where you feel you can, you know, push it here or draw it back, or you know. I mean, Ellen Mirren's got the great thing, and she's like, "Give me one of four directions, or you can combine them. It's faster, slower, louder, quieter." You know, and, that's <laughs> it. and then that's really what it comes down to when people are brilliant. You know, you can say, "All right, give me the faster, louder version, or give me the slower, quieter version." You know, here and there. And it, but obviously, it's about the the nuance of the scene and what particular moments you want to capture and 
the, the great thing about Andy and Jason and all those those really skilled and experienced actors is they bring it and then it's just about shaping and, and moving it yeah. around. What was also interesting was Dex was always going to be a natural director of actors. You know, we always knew that he'd be a, you know sensitive and supportive and he'd be great at manipulating a performance out of actors. That was a sort of given. What we didn't know or no one knew was with a lot of first-time directors, what happens is they're so grateful to make their film mm. that they become very receptive to everyone's input. You know, and the DP who you know on R one, mm. I worked with him on Clash of the Titans, and he's done loads of massive movies, and mm. and, and uh, was very opinionated and wanted his. You know, they worked very well together, but he was very clear about what he wanted. As were the actors who were mostly working for nothing. And Dex would go, "Right, I like what you're saying. <laughs> really good idea. Now let's do it the way I want to do it." And you know, for a first-time director, that's uh, that's amazingly bright and the crew responded to that and felt more confident because everything is about confidence and once they felt that the governor which was Dex mm. after one or two days yeah, Dex eventually. you know wasn't the, just Dex anymore he became the governor once everyone's confident with that it works really well and that I was really impressed with <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, but that's the great advantage of having mates on there who come and nod and agree with you no matter what you're saying. <laughs> and me and Jason are standing up in the hallway going, yeah, I think I might have the, the curry for, for lunch. And he's like, yeah, yeah, the fish looks good, isn't it? But if he's standing there nodding at me, well, and I don't what the hell are they two talking about? Oh, it must be very serious. <laughs> so, right, we're doing that, yeah, great, and, you know. But it is, it, it, does, it does come down to that. You know, you get someone like Andy on the set on day one and Jason day two and three and Pertweed day two, you know, and they're listening to you and immediately everyone goes, oh, right. He, he kind of gives you the position you need mm. to carry it through and then you don't have to set about earning it so much you mm. know don't have to fire someone you you're fired <laughs> for no good reason no one went did they you nearly got canned you did <laughs> no one went I was a bit disappointed <laughs> in that he's got a status quo film because I'm, used, exactly, to work, I'm yeah. used to work with Matt Vaughan where every day you go in you go is there anyone left <laughs> <laughs> it's just you and him in there hi Matt where's that lovely first <sighs> oh, oh right he's gone <laughs> right okay fine yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about him. Jason and I have been talking about making a film together for a long time. Yeah. Last 10, 15 years, we've been talking about we got to do a film. Well, it's yeah, and you know, there's always that thing like you know, one of us get a window, and then suddenly he's off to Romania to go and you, you know, see the Chucky. Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, or he's going to do X Men, or he's off to do Benjamin Button. I'm like, all right, you're going to do Benjamin Button. Yeah, like, I'll wait then, mate. Or, or I'm off to go and do some nonsense. You know, I'm doing Hotel Babylon suddenly for the next three years. I'm like, oh, that's good. I can buy a new kitchen. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, so, so things kind of never really fell in a place and we had this project we were really passionate about a pair of us and, mm. and it went from several different things and Marvel going to do it for a while we were always trying and then literally Jay went off to do some big job and my show finished and I was like okay I better do something in the meantime and started you know thrashing it out and uh, and it was it was that so it was just about timing really and I, I think that was just inevitable somewhere along the line I think Jay would say the same thing you know I know Jay was talking about directing something from Matt ages ago mm. that First World War mm. thing you know and and that was really inspiring to see Jay turn I'm like, I've got this I've got that I've got these ideas and you know all this kind of research and fire and passion that's kind of there that you need to make a film the great thing is that this that this is I mean for whatever happens with with Wild Bill <clears throat> it shows that Dex is a you know a, mm. uh, a dexterity of hand and he's capable of making a film and, and I think that's going to make life a lot easier for both of us <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, yeah, for all the projects you know because so now so. I've got this great you know 
script about a lesbian sheep farmer in Czechoslovakia, but until Dex directed the film, it was never going to be made. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm scripting him, Jay. He's not going to get out of my. He wants. He wants to cast himself as the lead. That's <laughs> <laughs> the problem. <laughs> the sheep is a good part. <laughs> Tell me, when did you first see Will Poulter? Because he's absolutely brilliant in the film. Uh, Will, I first saw in, in Son of Rambo. I mean, Jason's phone's ringing. Oh, no. It's very exciting time. We love it. It's going to wait. It's going to be Matt Vaughan. What are you doing? Clamping hands in our way. Oh, lovely. You're mousy. Um, uh, I saw him in Son of Rambo. Uh, have you seen him in that Son of Rambo? Yeah, you seen him? yeah he's great. Uh, and I was like, all oh, right, okay, so this kid's great. Yeah, we know he's good. And um, and I like Son of Rambo because, you know, he's funny, but you can see there's a sort of like an edgier side to him. Certainly that character he plays in that, you know, mm. it's not all it's not all like. And then, of course, I saw him in. Um, uh, the school of comedy stuff that he did, and he's like the standout kid in it. I mean, they're all great, but he was like, mm. "Who's that kid? He's mm. brilliant, that one, and uh, very funny like, every time on the mark, on the money." And then when the film started coming together, and his name banded around immediately. I mean, I can't. I think my brother come to me and said, "Oh, he did, you know, once he read the script, he was like, there's this kid, Will Poulter, Will Poulter, Will Poulter was out there, and um, and then I knew he was the right age." I knew that he would be looking for a part like this as well to, you know, he'd just done Narnia and it was a first adult role and it wasn't comedy for him. So I knew that, and he just got rave reviews as well in Narnia. So I was like, okay, well, that's an easy fit. And he and he read it and was just so keen to do it. Yeah. He was so keen to he's do very, it. He's a, he's a very committed young actor. He's, he's quite impressive, you know, because we all have a great time and he's always there having a great time, but you know he's... He's really concentrated and he's really, really focused. On, on his, focused yeah, very focused. Yeah, yeah. Quite impressive for, for a young actor to be like that. When we think of how we were. Yeah, he's like, oh, <laughs> she's brilliant. Yeah. When's lunch? Yeah. Where are the girls? Yeah. Like, Where's my diems? Oh, what? They're giving you money. They gave you money. Yeah, come on. Yeah, that's like, that's, but no, he's, yeah, he's, he's a lot very smarter focused. than that. Yeah, he is. He really knows what he wants. And that's why it was really great when he came on board things kind of started really you know and then we got Andy and you know Jason's attached and it really kind of helped build a yeah. really you know uh, viable product and we've got to talk about Charlie uh, Creed Miles because he's astonishing in it as well yeah he really and, is and you, you were you mates with him back in press gang days I didn't even know he was in did press you? Gang. yeah he's only in the first series they sacked him after the first series did they yeah he was a difficult little sod even then <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is an yeah. amazing performance. It is. I mean, I was a bit miffed, you know, when because I wanted to play, you know, obviously that part. <laughs> and then they said Charlie's playing. I was like, Charlie, psych. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw it, and and I actually I knew the first day I was on set when I saw him. I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, no one could play that as well as he played it. He was just yeah. And it's, I mean, he was really good. There he's is a great talent. He though, is. Charlie. He is. He is. And you know, and he and he's mad and he's wonderful and he's funny and he's way too serious and there's all these other things that go in but he's 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 madly passionate about it and he's got like this he's just got this heart inside him that's really it's important for the film and it's mm. um, and that's why he was always kind of there in the forefront of my mind and I knew that he was completely sort of cast against type you would imagine built to be bigger mm. you know like cut and yeah, you yeah. know but and Charlie's not that and he and he freaked out and started going down the gym mm. immediately and we had scenes where he'd start standing on his tiptoes I'd be like Charlie what are you do in the scene when he's with you mm. 
in that scene in this because mm. so, you're tall he yeah he started going up on his tiptoes like yeah. oh, that's a problem, problem. So I said what are you doing mate he goes oh I'm going, you know taller it makes me look taller like, yeah but we're framing up and you're popping out the top of the frame <laughs> <laughs> he's standing on his side stop doing it I think I really truthfully <laughs> believe that that film will, will will change everything for Charlie I think I, I think so too he's been underestimated yeah. for too long oh, and God, I think I, so. I think that film will change everything I think he will become a viable option now I mean obviously yeah. you know it's, it's difficult but and it it is what it is but it, I think he'll definitely be a viable option which is all you want you know you just want to be considered you just want to be in, yeah. in the game and mm. I think that puts him very firmly in the game no look I mean the, the, the fact is as well that, that Bill is, is a great part for any actor yeah. I mean I, I mean, I, I, we I could have played, played it in yeah yeah, way, yeah absolutely absolutely and I think and, and, and that's why it's written in that way it's like I would like to play that part. you, t- you <laughs> said that to me really what? really close when we were getting close he goes I think I'll direct it and play Wild Bill. And I was like, don't be a wanker, what are you talking about? He goes, no, I think I'll play Wild Bill. <laughs> he did, he did. I was so, I laughed. He's lying. Jason Fleming's so a liar. He's a liar. Bill. Anyone you meet in the industry will tell you Fleming is a liar. He'd have gone, action. And then he'd have run in front of the camera. And gone, yeah, it's terrible. I don't know what's happening in my life. And cut. That was brilliant. Move on. <laughs> By the way, he would have had to put go up in his tiptoes. I want to cast all midgets next to <laughs> me as well. Um, little people. <laughs> little people. <laughs> little people. <laughs> After oh, Benjamin Button, I'm very politically correct right, about little, little people. Little people. Those guys are fantastic. I was gutted to miss them, but do go and see Wild Bill if you can. It's on release now. And talking of movies that are on release now brings us to this week's new releases. How's that for a segue? Uh, mixed bag this week, though. The obvious biggie would normally be the big special effects film blockbuster, which is Wrath of the Titans, but given the success of the first street dance, you know what? It could well be Street Dance 2 3D, in which the world's best dancers face and foot off. Now, Helen, you saw this. I did. What did you think of it? Uh, well, I've seen most of this genre of current dance movies. So the step up. Step ups, all the step ups. Step up to the streets. Yes, uh, stomp Keep the stepping yard. Up. Stomp, step up some Carry more. on stepping up. Yep, step, yep. step class 101. You know, all Inception, of Inception, <laughs> all those films. Um, and uh, this one, I have to say, doesn't measure up to the best of them. No! The, the whole, point, the whole point of the street dance movies is meant to be that they're a kind of British take on these, you know, mostly American films. And this one has an American lead, takes place in Europe. And again, there's still the chance is that, that American could be lead a, compatible with European power sockets? Because um, I don't believe so. I think he needs a special adapter. Um, he does look a bit like a sort of beefy Will Young. So I guess there's a kind of British link there somewhere. I okay. Don't know. Um, anyway, so he goes off to, um, he's determined to beat this dance crew called Invincible so you know he's got his work cut Shit. out for him hey. okay. um, and goes off to recruit a, a crew around Europe basically they're all performing in front of national monuments around Europe so they're really <laughs> easy to find it's very very handy so it's like Fast Five for dancing pretty it? much yeah he gets them all together though and then he completely ignores them and just works with this girl who does salsa to bring salsa together with street dancing in order to find a formula that will beat Invincible wow Ooh. that's the idea it, uh, am I right in thinking that this film features scenes of Tom Conti? It does feature scenes of Tom Conti playing a French Extreme man. Extreme Tom Conti. Yeah. A French man <laughs> who says things like he's trying to comfort someone. He plays at some French. Point. He plays French. Really? And Tom Conti. Absolutely more. And uh, when he's trying to comfort someone uh, as a Frenchman, he, he taps them on the back and says, voila, voila, which obviously is his <laughs> translation of there, there, and is not. In any way, I'm French. It's just awesome. playing a Frenchman it's, it's in three Does, Doesn't that mean that was quite fun? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's deliberate. Yeah. I, so I assume. He, 
Okay. Yeah, I or, would like to think. Otherwise, he needs to go and Rosetta Stone as well. A little bit. <laughs> okay, I got you. Uh, so not 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 great. You wouldn't no, recommend it. No, it's just it. it's just uh, it, it feels too generic. It feels too much a wannabe of the Step Up movies. It doesn't have any kind of British or European or anything kind of flavour really to set it apart, aside from nice shots of pretty monuments. Um, and uh, just it's just anemic and boring. Sorry. And also that the editing means you can't really see the dancing even. What? I know. That's a shame. <laughs> okay. I think okay. the cast of all the different kind of uh, da- dancing movies off. should have a dance off. Amazing. Uh-huh. But then when they're doing it, we can lock them in a room. <laughs> so they don't make any more dancing movies. That's hard. Fantastic. I actually, I, I have to say, I, I have a bit of a guilty pleasure for the step up movies. I think they're quite fun and they're a little bit witty. So that's, um, that's not been the case for their wannabes. So that is the best dancing franchise because it's a bit I of a gap say, in my well it's, it's definitely knowledge. I mean I would put them ahead of for example Honey and Honey 2 um, and I love the human centipede oh <laughs> well on that note <laughs> uh, let's move on now to what should be probably the big film of the week which is Wrath of the Titans the follow up to the frankly underwhelming Clash of the Titans in which Sam Worthington's Perseus faces off against bigger and meaner monsters with a bigger and meaner mullet it has to be said including <laughs> a cyclops and a chimera Amazing stuff. Uh, Helen, again, you saw this one. I did. And we're not expecting an awful lot from it. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, in some areas they've completely stepped up from the first one. I think that... Have they stepped up to the streets? They've <laughs> stepped up to the streets. Okay. Uh, from the first one, they have uh, better monsters. I think the production design is, is astonishing. <laughs> it all looks gorgeous. Nothing said, not, uh, nothing, there should be a poster quote. Yeah, the production, the production design, design is awesome. <laughs> is awesome. We, we don't pay it's enough important. attention to production design. I we think, don't, sometimes. we don't, but I'm just... Um, you know. Yeah, I know. Aside from Sam Worthington's Muller, the production design is gorgeous, um, and and you know it it, it the, the action scenes are really well put together. They're really well done. The problem is everything else. The problem is characters. The problem is accent. The problem is awful, awful, unbelievably awful dialogue. Just really? astonishingly bad. Well, little things. I mean, basically everybody is is doing a sort of come as you are accent. So Liam Neeson as Zeus is pretty Northern Irish, and Sam as Worthington, it should be. And Sam Worthington is of course. Uh, Australian but he wasn't Australian in the first film no but he is now did they explain that no Rosetta but Stone. this is this yeah, is the Stone. age of myth and legend I mean who is to say well, how people talk no and I am completely for example um, like Oliver Stone's uh, Oliver Stone's Alexander I'm actually mm. all for the accents in, in that because they had a use yeah. and they had a purpose and they, they were consistently they, wrong yes and they no they delineated where in Greece people came from and that was quite sensible I liked that or like the eagle last year did anyone yes, see that? Yes, they tried to do it there. Mm-hmm. Didn't work quite so well, but they tried. Okay, so in summary, uh, amazingly, a film directed by Jonathan Liebesman, who directed one of the worst films of last year, Battle of Los Angeles, which is a follow-up to Clash of the Titans, which was not a very good film in the first place, is astonishingly underwhelming. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, uh, I can see what they were going for. They were going for this this story of fathers and sons and brothers and sibling rivalry and all this kind of stuff. But but they just don't do enough work on the characters to make it make sense. And Gemma Arthur's not in this one. No, she's not. Um, she is replaced. Uh, she's killed off before it begins, and then Alexa Davalos is replaced by Rosamund Pike as Andromeda, Queen Andromeda. Which, and I don't see the point for that because they don't actually give Rosamund Pike anything particularly to do. Mm-hmm. So, frankly, why bother? Why bother? Just why bother? I mean, you know... But it really bugs me, right? Gemma Arterton, right? Yeah. Died in the first one. No, yeah. No, she did. She died in the first one. She got killed by Jason Fleming. And then Liam Neeson brought her back to give it to Sam Worthington and go, here you go. You thought you were going to get some with her, but you didn't. Now she's back so you can have some. And then she gets killed again. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I believe that's an exact quote from the film as well, isn't it? (laughs) But he has some first. And they they have a baby. They have a baby. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a demi-demi-god. 
Uh, yes. But why recast quarter god? But why recast a Rosamund Pike role, but not recast a Gemma? Arthur role because then you can have a romance with a new woman because women are, in, are completely it? dispensable and it doesn't matter at all honestly that's I not, mean, that, Heather that's not true sorry Helen wrong meeting <laughs> did Rosamund Pike change his character uh, Rosamund Pike is the new version of the one Alexa Davalos played last time yes so is this who Sam Worthington I believe the, the vernacular is has some with in this movie well does he I mean there's nothing there and then suddenly they kiss at one point and then he buggers off again it doesn't matter at all women could not be less important to this story uh, there's a couple more films to mention for you guys Lena Dunham's Tanny Furniture is an indie comedy that heralds the arrival of someone we should probably keep an eye on namely Lena Dunham Dan yeah, yeah. It's, this is a really, really sort of uh, nice little. That sounds very patronising. Isn't it? Nice little film. Now that women are allowed to make films, nice little film. Well Tiny done for her. No, but it's it's you know it's a, it's a good movie. It's a bit sort of I don't know a bit the graduate, a bit Woody Allen. Um, it's I mean there is a certain element of you know well off East Coast people, my poor little rich life kind of thing, which which puts me off quite a lot, but. But she's really sharp and she's really smart and it's really well observed and there's there's some there's some really good really good well observed comedy in in this films. The film to recommend is a film that came out on Wednesday, which, which is, is Pirates. the Pirates in an adventure with scientists. Yes, and those Ardman geniuses back again. We reviewed it in last week's podcast, so download that uh, to see what we thought. But in in <laughs> in summary, it's ace and awesome. You should go and see it. And uh, weirdly enough, on Monday which is a strange day to open a film. There's Mirror Mirror, which is a Tarsem's version of the Snow White legend. Now, I love Tarsem. He's absolutely bonkers. Um, and he directed the R.E.M. Losing My Religion video, one of my favourites of all time. Uh, this is the first of the dueling fairy tales to come out with Snow White and the Huntsman uh, the second, which is due later in the year. This is a very much a, a, a more of a sort of comedic take on the Snow White legend. None of us, helpfully, have seen it uh, as we were at the Jameson, yeah, as we were at the Jameson Empire Awards when it was screening. But uh, Ollie Richards has... And his verdict? Two stars. Harsh. I know, the film's out on Monday. Uh, so if, you, if you're if you at a loose end, go and see that. Uh, and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Don't be a stranger. Please do get in touch, and you may well feature in next week's show, which incidentally is shaping up to be a doozy with Battleship's... Battleship? <laughs> Battleship. <laughs> Battleship. I want to see that film. Battleship. Battleship. Battle Battle That'd be yeah. amazing, wouldn't it? Apocalypse Cow. Warhorse <laughs> and Battleship. <laughs> So we've got Apocalypse Cow, Battleship Combat and Warhorse. <laughs> this is strange. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, not Battleship, Battleship, clearly. Battleship's power trio of Peter Berg, <laughs> Taylor Kitsch and Brooklyn Decker. They all dropped in for a chat, so that'll be on there as well. And until then, it is pod bye from Nick. Pod bye. Pod bye from Helen. Goodbye. Pod bye, I believe you find. And pod bye for the first time from Dan. I'm not going to say pod bye. You should say pod bye. You just did. <laughs> How do you enjoy your first podcast, Dan? It was... Very sexy. Uh, and of course, it's pod by from me. Pod by.